Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. If you were Portuguese, how would you feel about that result? I would feel forja, but also I would feel slightly gutted. Yeah. It's both an incredible result and could have been so much more. It's a weird one, isn't it? It's a very interesting one. So I think we're going to try and dig into three of the games. Yes. Argentina v Samoa at Friday night, which we were at. We were there. We were in San Etienne for that. Lovely yeah. stadium. Great game. Georgia versus Portugal, which was a hell of a game. That which we banger. watched in a bar in Lyon, which had... On our own. <laughs> yeah. There were like three children in there otherwise. Who were working there, by yeah. the way. Very odd atmosphere. Very odd little place. And then England v Chile, which... You know, was an occasion. Do you want to start on England, Chile, get out of the way, or we can do? Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I feel like there's only I... so much you can say about that game. I think Pablo Lemoyne kind of yes. said it all at the end, where he said, "Look, we were obviously beaten by a much better team. We deserved to get that score put on us in a sense, in the sense that you know we learned something about the mm. level that we need to be playing at when we're playing at the Rugby World Cup. If we want to improve, we need to play against these teams and improve." He said it in much stronger terms, but. Yes, but like those, those were the only things he said in favour of what happened in the game. Mm. But he lashed out pretty extensively at World Rugby yes. for the fact that they've had no Tier 1 exposure or even anything resembling it. Nothing mm. that could possibly get them ready for a Tier 1 test match other than one game against Scotland A. Yeah. And that was all that they've possibly had. And, and that was that was Scotland's decision to play that test as well, yeah, wasn't Scotland it? Scotland were looking to stop over either Uruguay or Chile. Yeah. That was Scottish Rugby Union led and they outbid Chile, outbid yeah. Uruguay for the game. Yeah. And made it extremely clear saying that we're the circus act, but what is it but we would be are the owners yeah, of the circus we are the clowns but on the other side you have the owners of the circus yes and extremely well put yes everyone's there to laugh at Chile that they're a joke but actually really it's not down to them yeah and I think as you say I don't have much to say about the game itself Henry Arundel did incredibly well to stand on the wing and take a few tries yeah um, some extremely extremely good goal hanging and took his fourth try very well it's great that um, when somebody in a post-match interview says oh you know what it's just down to the people around me uh, making them and then you know I just need to finish them it's just my job standing on the wing and putting the ball down like he was actually bang on on yeah. this occasion you usually go like oh you're just being humble mate so you know what you're spot on Henry Arundel never has someone scored five tries and less felt like man of the match yeah he basically got involved six times and five of them were tries yeah and that is the most important thing in the game, you know, scoring points. Grand, don't want to take that away from him. Don't want to downgrade Absolutely. his performance for at all. wingers to finish. Yeah, exactly. He did his job as a winger. But, but he you're owes a like, Smith a pint. He owes everyone else on that team about 10 pints each. Yeah. And look, at times it looked like England are playing 10 pints deep, but they put a lot of it together after 22 minutes of Chile being so up for it and so yeah. on it. And you've seen some people, some more absolute shit takes on, oh, Rugby World Cup needs less blowouts, needs less of this. A, you had the English football team scoring seven goals against Panama in the last Football World Cup, right? Yeah. And no one's calling for that shrink. In fact, that's growing to 48 teams, 46 teams, okay. something like that's that. Next time out, 42, 40 odd teams anyway, from the 32 teams it's been. The Rugby World Cup needs to, needs this, as Lemoyne says, right? This is the first time any of these players in his team have been remotely exposed to top flight test match rugby against this yeah. level. Right. They haven't played anything like this before. They've got to do it again next week against Argentina and they will be better for having played England first. Yes. They'll be a better team for having gone through this experience. It was a really, really ugly scoreline. It was an ugly last 52 minutes. There were 22 minutes where they were so in the game and so on top yeah. of them and frustrated England so much and they looked so weirdly anxious and just like thrown off by the fact that Chile were doing that, which was fantastic and I loved because I loved this Chile team. Yeah. But. Beyond that, there was a problem, as you say, in that they'd never had a chance to acclimatise to this level. Yes. Right? You look at their warm-up games, you look at the games they played over this year to lead in. They played Namibia, who are level with Romania's the worst side in this tournament. Yeah. They'd played Uruguay, which was, you know, good test. And they played Argentina A, which, you know, again, solid preparation. But the, only, the closest they've come to playing a level like this is they played Argentina and Scotland second teams. Yeah. Right? They've played 
players that weren't making the team for those, but are, you know, top end professionals. Sure. So that can get you up to a certain standard. And we, I think we saw that against Japan. They were used to playing at that standard. They had a little bit of experience. They could acclimatise to that standard, yeah. you know. That people are correct that we need to see less blowouts in Rugby World yes. Cups. But the way that you do that isn't by excluding people yeah. and making sure we only watch the same 10 fixtures of Rugby Union over and over again until we get bored. This was it. the 20th team England have ever played in a full test match. Yeah, exactly. Which is absurd for a supposedly global game. Yeah, right. Like, it's ridiculous that England have, up until yesterday, they'd only played 19 different teams. If you look at kind of like the complete kind of opposite kind of flip Mm. side of that, remember kind of over COVID when the England women's team could basically only play France because that was the only team who would genuinely test them. Yeah. It was the only team because they would just walk over anybody else. And also, there's the only team that's investing properly in the women's program at the time. Exactly, exactly. And don't get me wrong, it was, they were all great tests, but mm. there was a part of you at the back of your head went, oh, we're going to watch England play France again. No, there wasn't like, because I love that. That's no, but it's fixtures. a great fixture, but you know what I mean? Though? Yeah. It's like you're watching the same fixture over and over again. Mm. And if you want to just decrease the World Cup, that's what's going to happen. Yeah. If you're not going to watch teams like Chile, the best thing about the Rugby World Cup is that sometimes you get things like this happen. Yeah. Where Chile come in, where Portugal, who we'll get onto, come in. And the fact that, look, obviously Chile got battered in the end. England were so far comprehensively mm. the better team, which doesn't come as a surprise considering, you know, the league that they, that all of those players play in compared to the league that all of the Chileans play in. But they can genuinely take something out of the 20 minutes where they were competitive, you know? Yeah. The, Rodrigo Fernandez's all-time favourite player is Owen Farrell. And he played against him there. And he had 20 minutes where he was level with him. Where Chile made more line breaks than the team with Farrell on. Mm. Uh, where Fernandez had thrown more offloads than Farrell. And look, rugby isn't won in 20 minutes. It's won in 80 minutes. Yeah. But that is the, the tiny stepping stone, the tiny building block that Chile can use from that. They will be better in their game against Argentina that are coming up for having played against England than they would have without you know, exactly. having that exposure to tier one opposition. But they need that, not weekly, but they need that, at least on an annual basis, yeah. an opportunity to, to do that and to play at that standard. And it wasn't Chile's entire first team, but it was a load of players who will have learned something from yeah. that experience. So the thing is, right, you look at Portugal as a counterpoint because yeah. they're in a very similar situation to Chile. They've both got really young, really expressive teams who love to play dynamic attacking rugby, yeah. who really love to express themselves all of which are broadly, other than a few stand-up players who are older, in the kind of 22 to 25 age sure, range. Sure. You know, they're all a pretty young team who've come through and come through together, and now they've pushed on, they've kicked on, and they've qualified for a World Cup. Now they're, the shirts are kind of theirs, and they've got huge futures in terms of what they can do beyond this and what they can build if they start to have further generations come through and have the advantages they had from the age of about 18, yeah. younger, and, you know, start having proper academy pathways and so on in place. Like we're seeing like to Uruguay being able to bring through players like Manuel Adao and yeah. so on, who which wouldn't have been possible before, you know, before no. he would have been getting to the standard he's at now at a later age. Like yeah. that's just allowing these players to flourish and be the best version of themselves. So Rata again wouldn't have been possible a few generations ago. Yeah. What we're seeing with Portugal, however, is that they are on an annual basis playing Georgia, who are regularly playing the big tier one teams now semi-regularly not regularly enough but they are the one tier two team other than the pacific islands who are getting regular exposure to this level yeah and so by seeing that by playing them portugal may have to raise their level because they used to be able to play at a comparative standard right romania were very close to beating argentina a couple of years ago they gave italy a proper game portugal themselves also got a game against italy last year so we have mm. seen them start to get this game time you then had the joint training session they had with ireland earlier this year and you had a couple of the portuguese players saying a very similar thing to fernandez after that game against scotland day about this is the quickest i've ever seen anyone play rugby yeah and they just couldn't get used That's to the awesome. speed of it with chile more than any other team in this world yeah. cup the speed that they play at is notably different yeah. you know notably lower than everybody else's and we praised them for the fact that they were realistic in that and yeah. japan game and the Samoa game but obviously in England it lasted 20 minutes and then after that it was a very different story it's what Lemoyne said about the standard of this team is the soft belly of the pro data yeah right like these are players who are very good pro data standard players yeah who have never been up to the top 14 level there's not a player in their team who has played top flight professional rugby which to make their achievements all the more remarkable because there isn't a side in the world cup that has as few players that have been exposed to the top level as them. 
Yeah. And it's incredible what they've achieved. But also it means that now they are being exposed to that. They're not doing that until they're three rounds in, three games into a World Cup where fatigue starting to set in. This wasn't Chile's strongest team. You can, you know, talk about England. You can go, well, brilliant. They beat the team that's in front of them. That team should always have been them. Yeah, you know? of course. If they were Barbar's team that never met before, they should be putting a similar scoreline mm. on them. Just because they're players who have been full-time professionals, a lot of them since they were 15, 16, you know, essentially in that ballpark. They of play at a higher standard than Chile do every single week in the Premiership. Yeah. So you're like a considerably higher standard than Chile do at international level. And so, look, it's an ugly scoreline, but I think ultimately it's one that will benefit Chile and it's one that World Rugby needs to take the correct lessons from. Yes. And a lot of people will be very reactionary and say, oh, we need to kick these teams out of the World Cup. It's making for an ugly viewing. What they need to be doing is going, well, we need, yeah, giving these games to other nations, right? And a lot of people throw up the argument that, well, fans don't go and pay for games against these smaller teams, you know. Twickenham didn't sell out for that Fiji game very recently. Part of that was because England were playing shite. But you've also got, you know, so Cardiff puts the prices down for the Tier 2 games when they play Georgia, when they play Samoa or Canada or Fiji in recent years. They sell the ticket for cheaper prices than they would for a lot of the other nations. Yeah. That's grand. That allows a different crowd to get to the rugby. It helps you grow your fan base. It was where we first went to the rugby. Exactly. Know, was it that you game? Know? Yeah. If it wasn't for those games, who knows, you know, I, we probably wouldn't have been to a rugby match at an early age yeah and you know it would have been a far more i think exclusive thing and it was a you know amazing thing particularly in a nation like wales where rugby is a working class game it allows working class families to bring the whole family to a game yeah which is that's a great initiative the other side of it is go to those nations Mm. right this whole chilean revolution was largely started because they managed to arrange a fixture against the Maori all blacks yeah right yeah. which led to a huge growth because the all blacks is a massive brand people went oh we'll go and see the rugby as a you know one-off event and it started to just grow from there start to spiral from there what is just another game for let's say either owen farrell mm. or steve borthwick or any paying england fan what is another game it's like oh yeah we're playing chile you know different from usual that's the biggest game of Pablo Lemoyne's life. That's the yeah. biggest game of Rodrigo Fernandez's life. Clement Saavedra said the that. This biggest is the biggest game, game of any Chilean yeah. fan's life. So if you go to Chile, they'll yeah. sell that stadium. They'll be like, yeah. oh my God, we're playing England. Yeah. We're playing the nation with the biggest rugby play population in the world. Yeah. You know, with the most registered players, with the richest union. We are playing those guys, you know? And that... That's not necessarily England. That could be Ireland. That yeah. could be Wales. It should be any of these nations. It should be Australia, Argentina, whoever should be going and playing Chile in their backyard because their fans will lap that up. It will grow the game over there. And that, as we've seen with Portugal and many, many others, yeah. Uruguay in particular, that is what will spring the results for them. And that will, that's what will end 71-0 drubbings in the Rugby World Cup. Yeah. So, right. Chile last played Portugal in 2019. Portugal won with a late try. Very close, very tight game. That was played in Chile in front of a crowd of about 2,000. Okay. Right? Since then, we saw that Mario All Blacks game, which got a crowd of, I think it sold out, I think it was around 24,000 seater. Uh, you then saw the Scotland game got a similar 20 odd thousand, and the USA game in qualifying was played in the worst conditions ever, on a horrible time of night, everything, and yet that game managed to attract a similar record crowd. It was, yeah. you know, it was 20 odd thousand, right? That is changing it entirely. Yeah. You've suddenly got this as a grow. Chile is not like Uruguay in that it's got a huge population. Mm. And it's also got quite a strong, wealthy population that Chilean rugby has tapped into quite well. And good on them. Yeah, good on them. Good on them for looking at that. But it's allowed them where Uruguay has a naturally limited fan base and rugby has grown from being the sixth sport to the second sport in Uruguay yeah. over the course of eight years, yeah. which is enormous. But also, Uruguay has a similar population to Wales. Like, it's a small nation and ultimately you're going to be a long way behind football and it's a realistic target to get there to be the second biggest sport in Uruguay they've now achieved that Chile if you can grow to be the second biggest sport in Chile which is again achievable especially with the growth in Argentina with the growth in Uruguay and with potentially the growth in Paraguay and Brazil that's it those guys are going to follow suit if this happens in Chile if this booms so you've potentially got the chance to really explode and grow there World Rugby should be looking at South America as their number two priority after women's rugby. Yes. Like, in terms of growing the game, in terms of throwing everything at them, they should be, frankly, not forgetting oh, about the is knocking at the door. Oh, hello, Gus. Hello. Hello. Lovely, lovely trainers we suit. Mm, lovely, lovely. He's just whispering in my ear about how much he loves the, the Pan- Paraguayan team mm. and how they're one day going to win the World Cup. Thanks, Gus. Thank you, Thanks, Gus. Gus. Thanks, Gus. We'll see you. Uh, can you pass a message on to Bill Beaumont for me? Yes, um, he says, just tell him that we love the great values yes, of our great game. Yes, we love the values of our great game, and uh, William Webellis 
was a legend. Thank you, Gus. See you. Cheers. There was talk as well in another Ignacio Champis, to mention him again, of Gus Picho running for president of World Rugby again next year, which would be great. And I think, honestly, we need to get entirely behind him. Yeah. Because we've seen what the Conservatives approach with Beaumont, and I was more, I think, unsure about which direction it would go and which one would be better for World Rugby at the time. And actually having seen four years of Beaumont, or eight years of Beaumont now... The thing like, about Bill Beaumont is... Rugby is in a much worse state than it was before. And part of that is COVID, but... A big part of that is Beaumont's inherent conservatism. And the thing about Bob Beaumont is, he is so old. He is. He, I don't know how somebody is that old. He's been alive for all three of Fiji's wins over Australia. He was... Right, the last two are in the 50s. He's older than rugby itself. He's older than sports. He's older than this planet. I, I don't get how he's physically that old. He looks at William Webb Ellis and goes, I remember when that young chap first started at rugby school. Yes, he was a very good young chap who was coming through who had lots of potential. Very promising cricketer, as everyone always says about him. Yes, exactly. Right, let's quickly just say, who played well for England other than Henry Arundel? Marcus Smith had an absolutely shite first half hour, then grew into the game. He was very class good in the second on. half. Like, second yeah. half, he was fantastic. First half, he was a Theo Dan was, was really funny. good. Theo Dan, I think, is a standout. Took his opportunity brilliantly. That is the biggest positive for England, I think, is Theo Dan really impressing yeah. and really standing up because they kind of need another hook to come through. Yeah, because... Bevan Rod, very solid as well in the front row. Oh, I'm a big fan of Bevan Rod. But yeah, I think Theo Dan really established himself as a test player. And obviously, you know, the stand, whatever. But that was a performance in which you can go, well, yeah, we'll, we'll give you another game next week against Samoa. Yeah. And we'll see how you go. They've got an alternate option to Jamie George coming through. And he's very that. similar to a young Jamie George. Jamie George is obviously class, but th- that guy works so hard, Jamie yeah. George. Sometimes he needs a rest. He needs to not play a full 80 minutes every week. So I think it's... It, they've unearthed a gem in Theo Dan yeah. I think he's absolutely class uh, who else obviously Owen Farrell's alright Danny Kerr's alright bloody uh, we both had Ollie Lawrence in our fancy team he yeah. didn't do very much well yeah speaking of fancy teams I put Meliano Buffelli in mine yes and tell you what for a pick that really worked out that didn't really work out yeah which so I think says everything about that game let's right? talk about that game let's talk about that game Emiliano Buffelli scored the only try of the game scored all of Argentina's points in a win over a very good Samoa team yeah got man uh, of the match got man of the match scored me 33 points on the fancy league that's absolutely dreadful I'm just going to see who I've got that scored more than that yeah who did less than that in my team because I bet you because I picked yeah Thomas Gajo scored more than that. How many did he score, you say? 29. 29. It's gone down in the day since the game. Bevan Rod got me 34. Yeah. So Theo Dan got me 71. Ollie Lawrence got me 38. He scored the try. was man of the match. He's one of my lowest scorers this weekend. That's unbelievable. That's rigged. World Rugby, sort it out. Gus Pichot wouldn't stand Gus for Pichot this. Gus Pichot wouldn't stand for this. Gus Pichot would change this entirely. Anyway, so... We went to that game. Um, yes. San Etienne, first and foremost, lovely area of the Loved world. Loved it, yeah. Um, lovely stadium. The fan zone was top-notch. We had a great game of touch on there. A couple of games With my <laughs> broken-ish ankle. Yes. Um, uh, it was it was good fun. Good fun. Had it was a great really fun. It was great fun. Nice game. Great fun. We initially just joined in with a group of uh, Argentine fans playing against some English they fans dressed unreal. as Fijians. The the Argentine fans like they were all like young kids. I reckon yeah. it was like an under 13s team that were on tour or something, and they were class. They yeah. were so so good. They ripped up. There was one kid in particular like, oh, you're 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 going to play for the Pijians. Yeah, hell of a left boot on him. Yeah. Then that game broke up. People went. They took the ball, and then we had a couple of people recognised just from the channel, mm. which was lovely. Came over and joined in. We Start another game, played for a bit. Someone has to get ball out of his car. Someone has to get ball out of his car. The yeah, the team that are touring from the Netherlands, fantastic guys. Oh, they were good lads. Yeah, great stuff. Really enjoyed getting to meet them, getting to chat to them. That was good and fun. Yeah, CM fans. Yeah, made really, this point really there. It's a video I really want to do next year. Is look at the Netherlands because they got a really good young yes. team that's coming through very very quickly. And we recently, when we went to the Proto Dug game, saw their fullback Peter Leiden playing. And yes. whoa, what a yes. fullback! He solid, is. solid player. Um, so. Yeah, I put for a great 50-22 on my first touch in that second game as well, which is something I think more people should be doing games of touch. I was very proud of that. It's the highlight of my genuine rugby playing ability ever. And something we saw in... So the Argentina Samoa game, I think people that were watching it on TV generally said this was pretty shit. I really enjoyed that game. Oh, God. I had a great time. I think... 
I agree with anybody who objectively will tell me that's quite a shit game. Yeah. But that did not stop me enjoying it for several reasons. One being, I just think both defences were class. Yeah. I think both defences were on top the whole time. Tana Umanga is putting in some work with Samoa. Like, obviously, they've got a tremendously physical backline as well as, for, like, a massive forward pack. But I just think that, like, the connection in D is really, really good. Like, when Argentina made line breaks every single time, they managed to for- get back and then force themselves to get back on top. Mm. And obviously, they gave away a few penalties, which... I guess is what lost them the game was the discipline in the end but I don't think it was like so unbelievably bad I also think it's a risk that Samoa are running and I kind of rate it compared to what they were doing four years ago mm. where they were very passive they made occasional big hits yes right and we saw them Samoa were the least disciplined side at the last World Cup, they were kind of horrendously ill-disciplined. They were really desperately disappointing, largely because they were constantly giving away penalties and cards. And it was all a bit of a nightmare for them. Yeah. What we saw this year and are seeing from this Samoan side in both the games so far, and particularly that warm-up game against Ireland, is a Samoa team who are really aggressive on every single tackle. Yeah. And it's completely changed the way they feel and the way they play. As you say, a large part of that is Salim Apasua, but a huge part of that is Tanner Manga on defence. Yeah. Um, we were in front of him as he was warming them up. And I had a bit of going like, holy shit, that's, that's bloody Tanaru Manga. Yeah, because it was, it was pissing it down yeah. the rain. Uh, he had his hood up and just thought, oh, oh yeah, there's a Samoan defence coach. Kind of forgot who it was. Then you spot the dreadlocks coming yeah. out. Yeah. Uh, that's Tanaru Manga over there. I was like, oh, Jesus Christ, I thought it was big. Yeah. But he's doing such a good job of just drilling them to be aggressive on every single hit. Yeah. Which we saw, and a couple of times that backfired on them. But I think broadly, the sheer aggression and passion they're playing with is working to their benefit. Yeah. And yes, ultimately, this was a loss, and perhaps it wasn't the highest scoring game in the world, and they came away with zero points from it. It still was a pretty solid performance from Samoa. Yeah. And a suggestion that they can go on and cause some trouble for Japan and England. This was a really difficult game and also they're kind of, not their warm-up game, but I felt whichever of those three big games they played first was probably the one they were least likely to win. Yeah. And Argentina were probably quite lucky that it was them. Yeah. I think the conditions of the game and so on eventually favoured Argentina. I think that, you know, the, their pack were really good. Obviously the scrum was one area where they managed to weak out a few penalties and that really helped them out. I want to also say, like... Mo Schwalger in front of us no doubt has had a mm. big impact on that defence but in terms of our experience in the crowd there's two things I want to touch upon yes. firstly Argentine fans are the best genuinely the best the best I've said this before I said this around 2019 but the two best sets of travelling fans are the French and the Argentines right yes. so you mesh them together into a stadium with the South Sea Island crowds who are amazing but obviously smaller in numbers than you know a country with the population and of we'll get on to the summers yeah. like it was I think the second best atmosphere of the World Cup so far for me. Yeah. Uh, I think, oh no, Wales Fiji was fantastic. But that opening game and then this, and perhaps this wasn't the game to go with it, a lot of people might say. I had a great time, a large part of the time, to just how good the atmosphere was. The Argentine fans are incredible. The, the Argentine anthem is so, so good. Obviously, them singing along with the instrumental at the start. It's always like a goosebumps thing when you see it on television. But having, just being surrounded by a sea of Argentines with their tops off, swinging them around, <laughs> jumping up and down to their national anthem. It's just like, you know, people think that you need Oasis to reform to get that. But no, <laughs> you just need to go to Argentina and or an Argentine rugby match. It's incredible. The Argentine fans were incredible. Every single thing Argentina did well, they were so passionate and warm about, which was brilliant. But on the other side of that, so when we first arrived at the ground, right in front of us, warming up was Charlie Famoina mm. doing a stretch and so on. And a lot of people kind of around us who might not have realised that was Charlie Famoina, ex-All Black, Looked at him and thought, Jesus Christ, he's massive. Yeah. He's bloody huge. He's big. He's a big boy. And there was somebody who I I think was a relative of Charlie Mm. Famuina, was stood on the front row with a sign which had Charlie Famuina's name on it. And he kind of pointed at him and Charlie was like, oh, hey man, good to see you. And they had a little back and forth as Famuina was doing his stretches. And this guy had his Samoan shirt on, had like that that kind of necklace, that kind of flowery necklace Mm. around him and was so up for this. And... In a flag, yeah, and a it. flag, uh, and the sign, and like when Samoa were doing their warm up, the whole time he was just bigging them up, and he was just like absolutely gassing them up, and just saying like, "Oh, you guys are amazing! Go on, go on, Samoa! You walk, stretch that bloody ankle, stretch that hamstring." The other thing is, right? You said Famuino is massive. This guy was huge. Oh, as well. he was a unit. Like he, he is. He's believably related to Charlie Famuino. Yeah, you get the impression he's probably played to a reasonable level. Yes, or is certainly a big, big boy. Yes. And so I've talked about the Argentine anthem. Yeah. Samoa's anthem, always lovely. It's, always great. It's a really good always anthem. Good. But obviously the thing that kind of always overshadows it is their Simatal. Yes. 
which is the best of the Pacific War Dancers. My hot take, I'll stand by. Oh, yeah, and die yeah, by. yeah, yeah. It's not a hot take at all. I, I completely agree with you. It's, yeah, I, I love all of them, but this is so, so good. But the thing that always sends my kind of spine tingling, mm. and I always associate it with the aforementioned Mahondra Shraga, is the bit where the whoever's leading the Sivatau does the speech and then does his... Lemanu, and in this case, that is Michael Alalatoa is yep. currently leading it, with no doubt with some coaching from Mishnah Hamishalga because thing, he's right? so good at it. The thing I really like is that Alalatoa has got his own style and his own take on it. Yes, and I think we've seen a few people since Moshwalga have come in and tried to do a Moshwalga impression because Moshwalga, yeah. no one has ever led a Pacific War dancing rugby better. He's the goat than better than Moshwalga did. Yeah, like, go back and watch. Him lead it in the 2011 World Cup in the game against Australia. Played yeah, the one against Australia. That's on incredible. YouTube. It's incredible. They're, they're amazing. He's just like, no one's ever done it better. He does the Lamaru. It's like properly blood curdling. It's yeah. incredible. It's, he's got stage but, presence, man. Yeah, he's, he's phenomenal. And Michael Alatoa, I think, is the best since to come along to yes. do it. Oh, he's great. But he's got his own style, the way he, he really elongates the kind of leading, the kind of the, the speaking and the kind I of like threats. He stands and tall. In the middle. Yeah. You know? Whereas like Schwalger was more like on the level of everybody else. Whereas yeah. Alatoa was like an imposing figure but where everything for Schwalga was a lead-in to the Lemanu mm. for Alatoa everything beforehand is the important bit and Lemanu is in like like a full stop on it yes you know it's kind of going like no that is what I said that's what I meant and now we're going to kill you and you say that Alatoa is the best at the Civitao mm. since uh, Schwalga however yes. this lad in the crowd was unreal. He, um, here's Lemanu, uh, and he shouts it back, and he does the whole Civitao in time with the Samoans. Word perfect. Word perfect, and is so loud that the whole crowd are looking like, holy shit, this guy's nails. Like, this Nailing guy's incredible. every movement, every beat of it, and completely committed. Yeah. There was no sense of, like, irony, or I'm doing or, this for a or laugh, self-awareness or, or any self-awareness. He was just like, no, this means the bloody world to me. There was a real, like, depth of emotion to it. Yeah. And he was so passionate about this. Like, it meant so much to him. And he was stood on the front where everyone could see him in this stand and doing it, shouting with everything he had, giving it all in order to try and cheer on and celebrate I so his own wish culture. that I or somebody else filmed this. Because <laughs> I know. I, w- I want to watch it back because he was amazing. And sometimes in those scenarios... You just, everybody just wants to watch it yeah. and like not have somebody in the crowd ruin it for them. But th- this guy didn't. He was incredible. He was just as good as it the players. Magic. And as, we were just eulogizing over it on the way out the stadium, mm. just how good this guy was and how passionate and into the Samoa team he was. And just like, clearly this is his dream to go and follow Samoa around the world. And good on you, son. I, I hope you had a great game. Yeah. Oh, he was phenomenal. I said this at the time, right? So in the 2015 World Cup, we saw Ireland v Canada. Yeah. And there was a Canadian fan sat a few rows behind us who stood up for the anthem and sung it with such gusto and loudness and verve and And enjoyment. Yeah. Yeah. And he realised partway through, no one else around him was singing. And you had all these Irish fans, like, pat him on the back, start to buy him beers, gave him a ma- everyone gave him a massive round of applause at the end. Yeah. And he only just got louder when he yeah. became self-aware. He was amazing. I think this guy pips him to be the best individual fan I've seen at a Rugby World Cup. Agreed. Agreed. What a guy. I just, I hope he enjoyed the game yeah. and I hope he enjoys the rest of the World Cup. I would buy him a beer. I would buy him a beer. I'd buy him as many as you, I don't think one would have much of an impact on him. <laughs> no, I don't think it would. <laughs> I'd buy him 12. I'd buy him enough beers that he would do it again, the yeah. Civitao. So, to talk about the game a bit. Yes. Whew, I enjoyed it. But I do think if there's one word that really dominates mm-hmm. this match, it's brain fart. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. 
So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Yeah, a lot of sloppy errors from both teams, even before the rain was like lashing down. Yeah, and it's less simple errors and more just really stupid decisions all the time. Yeah, like you... Duncan Pyre Hour's early yellow card mm. kind of like set the tone for the whole rest of the game. You look at that and go, oh, that's stupid. I haven't watched the game back, but no. there was one moment from right in front of us, we sat behind the post, where Argentina started to run it from behind their own goal line. And I think you can probably see, because I'm wearing a Romania shirt, which is obviously bright yellow, you can probably see my face as I go, oh God, they're running it. And yeah. I turn to you and like, they're going to run this. And Carreras runs it from his own post and almost, I think they do end up with a scrum five. They certainly end yeah, up they making did. a botch yeah, of they it. Did. Um, and then Jonathan Tamatani just decided, you know what? I'm going to rugby values the shit out of this. I'm going to go down the blind side where I'm completely marked. I've got bloody Marcos Kramer, Pablo Matera ready to nail me. So I just dropped the ball. Yeah. You know, just stuff like that dominated the game. And I don't mind it because it was, it was for a game so dominated by defense, like there were moments where it was quite open. Yeah. And I, I enjoyed that. Like I think it had its moments, but yeah, it was so dominated by just silliness. I think a lot of people have been very critical of this Argentine team off the back of this game. Yeah. I think what we actually saw is just how serious a team the Samoa side is. Yeah. This is a really, really good Samoa team who effectively shut down a tier one nation. And I think there's a world in which England rest a few players for the next game and Samoa give them a much better game than anyone's expecting. Yes. And look, I would be saying like losing bonus point is realistic for Samoa. I don't think it's impossible they beat England. It's um, not impossible. No, and oh. I think they'll only get better from here on out. A word for Christian Leliafano, I think, had an excellent game. I, I think... do not agree with that. Really? Yeah, no. I think off the kicking tee, he obviously yeah. missed a few points when kicking for goal is one of the things that he's really good at. I, I think he, I think he had very, very, very good game. But I do simultaneously think they could have done with Lima Sopoanga on the bench. Yes, I think Sopoanga is by some distance the best ten, and I don't think it's a coincidence that the best they've played this year was that game where Sopoanga started at ten against Ireland. I would quite and... like to see what they can do with the thing is because Lady Fano can't really play twelve anymore. That's no. he's probably not really got the gas for it or necessarily physicality. the physicality for it. Like, but I would like to see that axis work. Yeah, maybe if it's a case of start Lilifano, move him to the centres early in the second half, then bring him off. Yeah, or something like that. Because I do think that if you had those two on the pitch at the same time, I feel like the game management would go up another gear. Mm. I know Sopoanga can play fullback, but I think it'd be really wasted there in this Samoa team. Yeah, I'm not entirely convinced. Duncan Payawa playing fullback is their best. It's weird, move. isn't it? It's weird. It's weird. I think there's a couple of issues in the Samoa team, right? Where they've got a few positions where they've got enormous depth and they've got three or four players who are all stacked and all wanting the shirt yeah. and all incredibly good. And then you've got a few positions. Fullback is one where they're just slotting in good players somewhere that doesn't suit them. Payawa is like a slightly less good Suteni, is the thing. Yeah. Payawa is a great player, but he's not a fullback. No. And you've got plenty of those players who tend to another one who they could play at fullback if they really had to. Yeah. But, but again, they've been wasted there. Yeah, they don't have just a good fullback. I wonder if Lady Farno or Sopoanga might have to be the answer. I don't yeah. know. Jonathan Tamatelli is at Scrum Off. I think it's another one yeah. where you're kind of like, he's in the team by default. And I get why he's in the team. I don't think he's terrible. I thought he was pretty good against Chile. But I he just he has. Against Chile, he just has like a few. He gets sucked in very easily and he ignores He's happy the to get game plan very the easily. Physical aspect of it. Yeah. And it's not a bad thing when you scrum It's better than being a wet lettuce at sure. for sure. But occasionally he does get sucked in that, by that kind of thing. And again, I don't think they've got necessarily a better option. Yeah. Um, I would love to see a wet lettuce play scrum off. Yeah. All Liz Trust play scrum off. Either one. See which one lasts longer. Sure, sure. But yeah, I don't think Tamateni had his best game. I don't think he had his best game against Chile either. Mm. I think he was the one player that they slightly got to Chile. But I don't know. Like, they, they can't really choose from that. It's Matavao as their secondary scrumarf, isn't he? Yeah. Who has been all right. I don't really know too much about him. So, yeah. But also, there's, I just want to also touch upon mm. another game. There was a point with about 10 minutes to go where you said to me, this is absolutely going to be Samoa score a try with a few minutes to go to get in bonus point range could be the winning try could get one more afterwards and then nothing's going to happen yeah more yeah. or less it's going to be a grandstand right. finish when nothing happens yeah and I was 90% there because there was a penalty for Argentina to seal it afterwards but that was it because once you said that I was like oh you're right but they're going to give away a penalty for sealing off on the road 22 and Buffalo's going to kick it yeah. through <laughs> and you were close it was, was Sanchez close. Yeah, <laughs> otherwise spot on. It was Sanchez and it was offside, but yeah. still, <laughs> I was close. 
it's just like that game has been scripted. That game, look, we've done this podcast on so many old World Cups that this game has been played so many times before. Look, we know exactly where that's going to be when we cover yeah. this in like 15 years' time. Yep. Solid game. Decent Solid game. game. I enjoyed it. I had a good time. I do have one thing to say about Argentina. Go right? on. Which is, I think if they are going to get past the quarterfinals or even to the quarterfinals, depending on how Japan, that Japan game goes, because that is so hard to call. Yeah. I have no idea where that one's going. Both teams could screw it up. Both teams could yep. suddenly be class. If they're going to get beyond or even to the quarterfinals they're going to need Sanchez to go back into 10 I think they are I don't I think, think these they days... will probably revert back to break glass and deploy Sanchez and I think they're very much trying to move on from him because obviously he is like he's well five now yeah. and he's been going around a he long long time he could feasibly be Bill Beaumont's grandson you know yes. like that's how old he is but uh, I don't think he is at the moment a better player than Santiago no. Carreras uh, I don't think that's even a necessarily a conversation no. but I think he's more what they need to win knockout rugby which isn't what they're now into they're into knockout rugby now. This is the thing, right? Carreras is a better player. Carreras has played very well in the 10 jersey. Sanchez is actually a 10. Yeah. And we saw in that England game, they got sucked into a game of just trying to run everything because they had a winger at 10. Yeah. They didn't have a 10 who had the discipline and game understanding. Of He's just getting away with it, Carreras. And I felt the same thing happened this week. Yeah. And it worked in the games that played very well last year. This time around, this competition, a lot of teams have gone, well, the way to get to Argentina is you suck them in and you make them want to run because they yeah. want to run. You know, like Carreras wants to run everything. They've got Mateo Carreras on the left wing. Yeah. You know? Like, obviously, he's going to run absolutely everything that comes his way. And Nico Sanchez is just a smarter player than that. Yeah. And perhaps he isn't the player he was five years ago, eight years ago, even three years ago when he, you know, had the phenomenal game against the All Blacks. But he is still a player with the game understanding and experience to not fall into those traps. Yeah. And I think we saw that a bit when he came on for those last 10 minutes. And suddenly Argentina were smarter yeah. in how they played the game. They were less full of brain farts. And that could really benefit them. The other key thing for Argentina was just the benefit of having a genuinely world-class player. Like, Buffelli was near top of his game. And suddenly he when you've got excellent. a player as good as Emiliano Buffelli mm. playing as well as he did, you were going to win that game. Of course. You know, he was responsible for, well, 16 of the 19 points yeah. for Argentina scored the try kicked his points just brilliant King deserved man of the match King. couple of huge defensive reads as well yeah. great in the air just everything oh, yeah. you could possibly want from him huge hit on Leliafano yeah, yeah. He, just, was he was just superb he was superb yeah. and that is the kind of difference between these two teams right they're two very level teams ultimately but one of them has a couple of players who are genuinely world class yeah. Let's talk about Georgia-Portugal. Let's do it. Let's do it. Oh boy, we made it. We made it to three times. For her. We got so into Portugal as a team playing in that game. And it was a fascinating game because you look at the first 20-odd minutes. Mm. Georgia absolutely dominated them. Georgia gave Wales a masterclass of how you beat this Portugal team by really kicking the ball and basically just kicking it, kicking it, kicking it until eventually space opened up for Nini Ashvili. Like yeah. genuine space for him to put Tabat Salter in for that try really early on. Like that was a masterclass on how you kick Portugal off the off the park. Really targeted the set piece because in the first half, the Portugal line-out was very shoddy. They definitely shored it up by the second half. Mm. Like they, they really problem-solved in that regard. But the first 20 minutes by Georgia, I think, was an absolute masterclass. Yeah. Oh, they were sublime. And there was a bunch of people being very, you know, sniffy about how much better they are than Wales and how they're going to beat Wales in the next game. I think we saw in the second half uh, quite a bit interesting about uh, this Georgia side. Yes. But, yeah, the key thing is how good they were and how accurate they were. The problem, however, is that they weren't scoring their points. They weren't taking their points. They were tactically spot on. And then they were getting into the 22 and they weren't doing anything. A lot of it was their insistence to go for the corner because I think they knew they needed a bonus point to get out of this group because that Australia game made things tricky with them giving Mm. away five points there and getting nothing out of it and being, you know, negative on points difference. They probably saw this is the lowest ranked team we're going to play. We need to get maximum points out of this game. Yeah. And instead of just settling and winning the game first, which is the same mistake Wales made, you know, I think both sides have ended up ultimately underestimating Portugal. Georgia did and they didn't. I think they're also very used, because they've been playing this team for years, they're used to winning these games. And Portugal have got closer and closer in the last yeah. year to what they drew last year, which was huge in Portugal getting into the places, you know, it allowed them to get into the place to qualify for the repechage. And from there, they go on and qualify for the World Cup. Yeah, I think... I I wouldn't say Georgia underestimated Portugal. I think they very much proved us right that Wales underestimated Portugal and were arrogant. I don't think they underestimated Portugal, but I think they overestimated themselves. Yes, definitely, because they left so much out there. Yeah. You know? Uh, Georgia should have been three tries up. Yes. At half-time. Yes. They played it tactically spot-on, and there was always, you know, just one or two incorrect decisions in that 22 area. And... They, they don't scan to me as a team who have that kind of killer instinct to, mm. I don't know. It's one of those things that like, 
being able to finish tries is a bit of a habit, you know? Yeah. And winning games itself is a habit. And I feel like this Georgia team have all of the correct ingredients apart from that yeah. one. And this is the thing. Other than that Italy game where everything came together and was phenomenal last year mm. and it was one of those destiny days where nothing can stop them. The Wales game, they were reliant on another team brain farting their way to them. They you know, tried their best to up. lose that, is the thing yeah. about the Wales game. Like, Georgia was so far from... They didn't play that well you against wanna, Wales. They wanna, played brilliantly against Italy, yeah. like, given that. But, like, against Wales, they didn't play that well. You want to talk about that as a heroic, all-time great Georgian performance, and it wasn't. It was like, a 3 out of 10 playing a 4 out of 10. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Georgia were good enough to win it and they were sensible and it shows what a decent team they are. You know, yeah. what a good team they are that they can win those games now. Yeah. Where there's plenty of teams that wouldn't have won that from that situation. That, you know, being thrown that many mistakes by Wales and that little composure by Wales. However, Georgia were not at their best on that day. And I think it, that was the real sign. You know, they always say the good sign. They always say the real sign of a good side is playing badly and winning. Yeah. And Georgia doing that against a side they've never beaten before is a real sign of massively, how good they are. Massively. But they then play well here and end up drawing because they totally put their foot off the gas the moment Raphael Sorti gets that first try. Yes. On, on Georgia for a moment, mm. the return of Ted Edwards and at 10. Yes. What are your thoughts? He played 45 minutes and got hooked off. Uh, what do you reckon? How do you think he played? I thought he played generally very well. Agreed. I thought he kicked very well. I thought he was much more sensible in how he attacked the game. I thought Matt Carver was very good last week. Yeah. But he's far more of an attacking-minded player. And Abzendadze is more of an all-rounder, even though he's tiny. But he, he was able to kind of round the game out and yeah. add an awful lot. I thought Abzendadze was really good. Mm. I think, granted, you know, fitness of him re- returning from an injury mm. recently is a part of it. But I do think they pulled that trigger on Matt Carver a bit too early. I think they kind of assumed like, oh, right, so Portugal are playing this attacking game. If we score a try out of nowhere, because they have players who can do that. They have Tabut Sadze, they have Nini Ashvili and so on. They have players who can do that. I think they kind of assumed that was going to happen. Mm. Again, it goes back to what you're saying. Like they overestimated themselves a little bit rather than overestimating, underestimating Portugal. So Abzendadze comes off on 52 minutes right the same minute Samuel Marquez kicks a penalty to put them to 11-13 and then straight afterwards Rafael Storti scores a second try okay it's not a coincidence that those things swing around the moment you change your 10 yeah we saw it with Wales a couple times we talked about it on a previous episode of this yeah the Fiji Um, game Costello coming on Costello coming on and I think part of it is the issue of a young 10 coming on and needing to establish himself but there's also something in you're throwing them into an environment where they are on the back foot and they do not have a chance to put their stamp on the game like, you're telling them, oh yeah, come on, change this game that you've had no impact in whatsoever. Yeah. You've had no influence on how and it is so far. the other team has now done that, yeah. you know? So, Jean-Luc Portea got the official man of the match. Yeah. Portuguese fly half. Deserved. I thought he was absolutely brilliant. Yeah. He was just sublime the whole game through. Kicked really well as well. But in attack, the way he managed shapes, the way he ran, the way he managed to get a couple of offloads in, just brilliant. But he grew into that game, right? He was yeah. pretty quiet for the first half an hour. And then after that, he just got better and better and better. That was once a- he got the measure of the game and measure of what was going on. And I think sometimes a case like Matt Carver or like Costello, as we mentioned earlier, mm. you're throwing a ten into a very difficult situation. Unless you're a really experienced guy, you're a Andre Pollard, you're a Dan Bigger, you're a Johnny Sexton. You're able. It's very difficult to have an impact on that game because you just haven't been in it and you haven't felt yeah. it and you haven't felt what's going on here. Yeah, I think the most impressive thing about Portea was his the fact he didn't get carried away you know that for the first half an hour we were saying to each other like Portugal haven't had a single attacking set yet Mm. Uh, as soon as they have one they'll probably be all right yeah. They don't want to get sucked into this really tight rugby that Georgia tried to play. And they don't exclusively play. Like people often kind of make that um, mm. misconception. But they were doing that. They were going to the lineup. They were going to the mall constantly. And Portugal weren't enjoying that, you know? And we just knew that as soon as they got one attacking set, and it was literally their first attacking set of the game, Portea played it perfectly, had a few moments where he looked like he was going to kick long, and but their attack looked so good that they kept the ball in hand. When uh, Storty scored that first try, mm. literally it was just because Portea threw one pass that took like, four or five defenders out of the game. And it was the most, like, what people who played in the 80s put on Twitter thinking good attacking rugby is, yeah. where just, like, forwards just catch the ball and then ship it along. Yeah, um, yeah. But that was all it had to be because they'd done such a good job of stretching the Georgian defence across four or five phases. Well, because the interesting thing, talking about him growing into the game as well, mm. is that comes immediately when Portugal even penalty advantage, right? Yes. And suddenly he goes for the all-or-nothing ball, which is an insane ball to throw, 
but it's phenomenal and is inch perfect from him in the end. And it leads those forwards being in such good positions that they can just ship it on to the end to Storty. And the Georgian defence is hurrying so finishes on real. Yeah, he makes the initial step and goes. You have a little shove on him for Mike Tasha, which is very funny. And then as he darts through, just a phenomenal finish. I, yeah. I said in the video on Portugal, he has the potential to be the first major superstar of Portuguese rugby. Yeah. Because he's 22. He's got two tries in this game. He's some right? athlete. You look at his stats from the last few years. He's got 15 tries and 20 caps and 12 stars for Portugal. That's mad. Which is ridiculous. And you could even argue he's not even Portugal's star winger. No. Like, that's he's how good they are. On the books with Stade Francais, and I reckon they play him a bit this year. Yeah. I reckon he gets a few games. He spent the whole of last season on loan with Bézier in the top pro leader. But I reckon, I reckon he's going to get some game time. He's a superstar, isn't he? I, I love watching him play. Um, you make but, the point about Portugal on penalty advantage, by that's the way. It. We saw it. So the, the penalty they then get a few minutes later from, uh, Marquez, Marks, which they kick from straight in front of the post. Yeah. But they get into that position. They make up 60 odd meters because once again, Portea starts to gamble his arm once he's got penalty advantage. And you saw his confidence grow. And once he got into the second half or deeper into the second half, we had suddenly, he started to throw those balls when he wasn't on penalty advantage. Mm. He grew in confidence. And you felt this was a huge game of him maturing. And he has the potential, he's 22, to kick on and become a genuinely international class, brilliant fly half. Oh, yeah. Like, who can challenge... He's already well on his way. Yeah. Like, he reads the defence so sublimely well. And that's not just the defence in front of him. Mm. That's where the defence is going to be in three or four phases time yeah. if I do something. He can kick off both feet which is really impressive. He's left-footed, but can do clearance kicks or attacking kicks off his right. Attacking kicks are his favourite kind of kicks, yes. uh, as we've learned over the kind of past 18 months, I suppose, of him being in that 10 jersey. He's got an unreal pass on him and just knows w- which attack to pull out, you know, mm. how to structure an attack, which play to run, which shape to run, and he understands the players around him, you know. Thomas Appleton, fantastic. Well, Pedro Betancourt was fantastic. Pedro Betancourt, very, very good. Probably the player that gets the least talked about in his back line, you know, yeah. in that team with Jose Lima as well. Yeah. But, yeah, I think it's absolutely fantastic. Marta playing at but 13. Speaking of Portea knowing his players inside out, right, mm. that second try where he gets on the inside of his man, rounds him, throws the offload to Storty, right? Raphael Storty and Jerome Portea have been playing together since they were six years old. Yes! They've been friends since they were six. Storty took up rugby because he was just Jerome Portea's friend. And he was like, come down to the rugby club, you know, come and have a chuck about. And now he's playing for Stade Francais on Stade Francais books. Storty's second try there, it's reminiscent of Chris Ashton at its best. Yeah. The way way he picks that line and then just knows I can go the Mm. whole way here. Like, and just opens up... the fact, because clearly that was one of those things. Those, as you say, those two have been playing together mm. since they were kids. Clearly, that was something that the two of them had seen a few phases in advance. Yeah. It's unbelievable by Storty. What a finish! You again. give Storty five meters, and it's good as five points. Yeah, that was just Porte knowing I can get him into a little bit of space here. You know, you I could create a full highlights package around Storty just based on that game because, yeah. like, defensively he was class, brilliant in the air. Um, he almost I'd, got a hat trick try in the second half. Yeah. Yeah, and Guedas nearly got a try as well. Guedas, again, I think had an excellent game from fullback in a completely different way to how he did against Wales. Mm. Against Wales, it was his feet were just completely like setting the World Cup on fire. But he was really solid in the air against Nini Ashvili, who's one of the best aerial fullbacks probably in the competition. Yeah. And I think he was so, so solid, kicked really well. But I've got to talk about one guy in particular. He's my current obsession in this World Cup. And that is Sammy Marks yes. at nine. I just think he's so good. I think he's so important to how Portugal want to play. Um, Portugal are such an attacking-minded team. They're so focused on, you know, if they get wide, throwing those risky offloads, especially like on penalty advantage, as you say, throwing the long passes mm. and, you know, running in the wide channels. However, Samuel Marks really complements that because uh, a lot of people have compared him to Rowan Pina, and I yeah. love that. Because he is like Rowan Pina in the way that he goes for the corners, he kicks the goals. He's extremely smart. And the whole team, if he then goes, right, now we calm down. We've had our fun. Now we get down there. The whole team just trusts him. Yeah. And he's the one who makes that call every time over Portea. And um, I really hope so it's Pedro Lucas is their young yes. scrum who came on and was by all means good. Obviously, Mark One really stupid penalty he gave away. Yes, he did. Oh, that was so stupid. At least the Georgian try. Ruck. But that's the thing, right? They've got a... He's just turned 22, Pedro Lucas. Yeah. He's a very different player. And he's a very good player who's played very well in the Portugal jersey in the past. Yeah. And, and Marks couldn't have done 80 minutes. No. So there's talk Samuel Marks wants to 
And like you could see he was knackered sometime before he came off. Yeah. But he kept playing. He's 34. There's some talk about it. He wants to play for a year or two after this. Okay. Because obviously it's a highlight for him to play in the World Cup. Obviously this was the dream. He's very proudly Portuguese. He's French Portuguese. You know, was raised as a Portuguese kid in France. Yeah. Played a lot of the Pro Day Dirt. Played a lot in the top 14. Played for Toulouse. Played for Brieve a lot in the top 14. Currently playing the Pro Day Dirt. But due to fallouts with the Portuguese rugby union, alongside issues with club release and everything he didn't get the chance so yeah. he's you know he's only got 25 cap or 26 caps it's over you know he's 34 now yeah like he's getting on a bit and he's only won a handful of caps most of them have come in the last few years there was like an eight-year period where he didn't play of course at all course, for yeah. portugal and i think to him this means the absolute world yeah like this means more to him than it does to the young kids who are just coming through and like know this he's is a huge deal. his arse off for this yeah. in his career you know yeah and hopefully he can help transition the likes of Pedro Lucas into that jersey um, and teach him a little bit about, yeah. about the whole game management thing because you you need one exceptional game manager in the whole back in the whole team. That's you it. only need one if he's really exceptional to it, and that's exactly what Marx is. And that's it. Like the chances of him making it to another World Cup at thirty eight are very slim. Very, it's possible that they're very slim. Yeah, but Johnny Sexton can do it. Yeah, he can give himself two years of just really helping blood and really mentoring Lucas, perhaps sitting on the bench for him a lot and helping bring him through, that'd be the best thing for Portugal because they Definitely. need that younger generation to kick on. Definitely. Because, yes, they're, a lot of the team is phenomenal, but you look at a few of the... Uh, Nicolas Martins, we haven't mentioned as well, was absolutely oh, brilliant. Oh, he was so good. Shirt. Brilliant at the line-out, brilliant in the breakdown, just all over the place, made countless tackles. He was so, so good. As he, he sorted out their line-out, yeah. which was a huge issue in the first half. And clearly at half-time, he's like, right, just chuck everything to me. And then he went to speak to the Georgian pack. He said, right, just chuck everything to me. And he was brilliant. Yeah. No, absolutely fantastic. Do you look at him like Francisco Isaac made the point on Twitter? He's still 100% on tackle success. He's 32 tackles for 32. He's also made nine carries. 72 meters from nine carries is a hell of a return. Pretty damn good. So yeah, he's a very, very good player who I thought had a fantastic, a particularly great game, was good against Wales, was even better here. Yeah. However, yeah, there is a little bit of you that looks at this Portugal team, right? And goes, they will sometime in the next few years, even if it isn't immediately after this World Cup, lose Francisco. Francisco Fernandez, Mike Tajia, and Samuel Marks, who are key key players. Their scrum really held its own against Georgia. Yeah. You know, even got on top a few times. Costa was very good when he came off the bench, replacement prop. Yeah. So it's an interesting one because this team needs to kick on, but they also need to find a few players in there yeah. to do so. But they're really young, they're really building, and they're so good to watch. I love them. I love seeing them play. I was so cheering for them. And then we come into the that final stanza. That's it. So the, the Pedro Lucas penalty is really frustrating mm. because they just defended 18 phases against Georgia. And don't get me wrong, in that set, they'd lost about 20 metres. Yeah. But they looked okay. They looked like they knew what they were doing and that they were patient enough that eventually Georgia would make an error. Yeah. And eventually Lucas gets a bit impatient, comes in the side, pinches the ball from the back of the rock when it was still in and gets pinged for it. And you look at that on telly and you go, that is really, really stupid. Obviously... In the energy of the game, you don't know what goes through Lucas's head. Yeah, you don't know if he thinks it's genuinely out, which I'm sure he did. I'm sure he did. I'm sure he he did. But obviously, George goes to the corner from there and scores from the mall in the most inevitable way possible. And yeah, the last play does bear some talking about with, I think it was Martins winning the breakdown penalty, Mm. wasn't it? On the edge, getting him to chase the kickoff, wins the jackal turnover. And Portugal have a shot to win the game on the 22, right out on the five metre line from touch we had a bit of a conversation about this we did, about yeah. whether you go for goal whether you go for the corner I would have gone um, for the corner I think yeah, that is I too think... difficult a shot to be putting all of your trust on one player's shoulders for such a historic moment who is the second line kicker as well yeah I said this if Samuel Marks is still on the field you go for goal he nails that yeah since he isn't I think you go for the corner Sosa Guayas is a very very good kicker yeah he's you know kicked plenty for Portugal in the past but it's a lot of pressure to put yeah. in a World Cup in He's the biggest never... game in the rugby team's history. Yeah, know? he didn't take a shot last week. This is his first shot in a rugby World Cup. He got into rugby because he was watching the Rugby World Cup 2007 on the TV and asked his parents to take him down to a rugby club. Yeah. You know, And a few years later, he makes his debut alongside some of those players for Portugal. And it's an incredible story. It's a beautiful story. But also, it means he is now looking at this, right? And when he was a kid, he was growing up watching Portugal losing by huge margins to all of these teams. You know, yeah. conceding 100 against the All Blacks, conceding 50 against Italy. He's now in a position where he can. The thing that he dreamt of when he was a kid watching those games, he is the guy who can kick the shot to win them the game. Yeah. But win them again 
game in the Rugby World Cup for the first time it's huge. ever. It's huge. And it's such a difficult kick, right on the angle, right on the touchline. Do not blame him at all for no. missing that. I think you go for the corner mm. and you try and work a drop goal position. Portela loves it. a drop goal attempt. What I was saying at the time was like, go for a tap and work it in field. Yeah. Um, because I just have this, I had this vision when that penalty was given, of, oh, they go for the corner, Koto Makachaz is just going to jump and steal it and they're going to kick it out. Mm. Like, I just felt like, that. it just felt like the fairy tale end of Georgia of Portugal sorted out the line out until the very last one, the most important one. But I think it's almost well, fairer to but... put the weight of it on the collective effort of the forward pack yeah. than it is on one kicker. I agree. And I, agree. I think, I don't know. Gave it a pretty good go and he came pretty close. And for a second, he thought it might be going over. But ultimately, I think the weight counts and the difficulty of the kick counts. In there a was, sense. Opta tweeted the kick prediction out okay. and there were 45% likelihood of him getting it. It's obviously a pointless conversation for us to have. Yeah, Because no, of in a sense, there's no correct answer. Because let's say they go to the corner, yeah, Mikatata steals the line out, they kick it out. and Or even they catch it, go a few phases, drop it, whatever. And we're all going like, they had a penalty in the 22. Why did they not go for goal? You know, but it, it's it's a pointless thing to discuss. But mm. the final score, it was a draw, 18 all, and yeah. it was probably what was deserved in the end. I think it was a fair result for the game. I think it was a really tight game between two very evenly matched teams. Yeah. The really interesting thing is that this is quite an old Georgia team in a lot of ways, or an older Georgia team than this Portugal team. And this Portugal team has improved so much in the last year, never mind the last four years. Four years ago, they were just starting to beat the middling tier two teams, you know? They're beating the likes of Chile. They're beating the likes of uh, up there. And now they've started growing to the point at which they're competing with Georgia regularly. You know, they drew last year and they drew again this year. And they're beating Romania comfortably in the Rugby World Championship now. Yeah. And we also saw them having proper games against Japan and Italy. And they are building in a direction in a way Georgia feel like they've kind of plateaued a bit. And Georgia feel like they need some big change in order to kick them on. Yeah. Portugal are just growing and growing. And I wonder if in the next few years we'll see them win the Rugby World Championship. I think that could happen in the next four years. I think there's a world in which they qualify as Europe 1 yeah. next time rather than Oh, that would charge. be good, wouldn't it? I'm loving the amount of Get Portugal in the Six Nations chat that's going on, yeah. by the way. Yeah. It's just, yeah, they're an immensely fun team. This is this group of players' first World Cup. is obviously Portugal's second World Cup. Yeah. But that was a very different group 16 years ago. Yeah. This is the team that will be growing towards whatever Portuguese rugby becomes. Whatever Portuguese rugby goes on to become... It becomes because of these players. What's interesting? Right? I think this group of players will at some point beat a tier one nation. That's it. That's it. Like, what's I'm interesting is that. they qualified in the very last thing as the repechage because they drew a game with a last minute Samuel Marks mm. penalty against the USA uh, in the very final repechage, right? And I expect them to qualify for 2027. Yeah. It's not that I just think like, oh, I think they'll do it again. It's like, I know they, uh, I expect them to do that. I yeah. think they should expect themselves to do that. Even if the walk up doesn't expand to 24 teams. Yeah. Even if the World Cup goes down to 16 teams and Andy Good gets his way, it's a bloody stupid idea. I still would expect Portugal to qualify. Yeah. I think they're extremely good and only going to get keep getting better. I think they should decrease the World Cup to be one team and it should be Portugal. <laughs> Agreed. Portugal and Chile. Okay, and they just have a final. They just have a final. Yeah, fair enough. They just, that was what they were playing in 2019, actually. The World Cup, they everyone called the World Cup was actually England a coming second over here. go. Yeah, I, look, this Portugal team is going to be a tier one nation. I don't oh. know which one. We'll see. I hope it's like Ireland or someone really good over <laughs> South Africa. I hope it's New Zealand. Um, yeah, mate, imagine. There's a not impossible chance that's Australia in a couple of weeks' time. Oh my God. But the thing is, I say imagine, like... Australia Portugal is tonight have... as we're recording this, right? Suddenly, they have nothing to play for. They send the kids out and Australia look dejected. I could see the Portugal game against Australia going very similar to how the game against Wales went. Yeah. But you throw in Australia being 20% less motivated if they're already out or they're good as out. Oh, that would be good though, wouldn't it? Oh, I'm very excited for that game. Yeah. I'm so glad that we have another game to watch. In fact, another two games, another two games. to watch I also think I also had this... This was my gut feeling before the World Cup. Is like, there's a chance of... And I didn't feel this was necessarily nailed on or anything. But there's a chance of a Uruguay 2019 situation 
with Fiji and Portugal in it's terms of just underestimating them and putting that the is going out to be the most fun being, game of yeah, the whole group stage. Uh, that's yeah one of the most just as a pure spectacle one of the most entertaining games in prospect and also like if Australia batter Portugal mm. which is a possibility yeah, I can't deny that it's a possibility oh yeah, yeah no. I mean it's the likely outcome you know if that happens but, it's going to be a Russia in 2011 against Australia story and yes. Portugal are getting a try bonus point yeah they're defeat. dropping a goal later on and we'll get the Dales on to talk about it in a few years time yeah, exactly uh, one of the Dales we're meeting later today yes. hopefully all being yeah. well for us Australia looking forward to because it bloody we've got to go and watch that in a bit haven't we <laughs> Uh, which is not going to be as good as any of the games other than England Chile that we've discussed today. So, do we have anything else to talk about on that game? I don't think so. Just for her, Samuel Marks, because I love you. You're my favourite scrum half. I, yeah, hugely, hugely enjoyable game. I think George Portugal is one of the top three games of the tournament so far. Definitely. I think whereas Fiji and South Africa Island has played almost immediately afterwards, played late that evening. Both unbelievable games. And that brings us through the bloody rugby, doesn't it? Really, All the really bloody does. rugby's. So, please join us soon. We'll have to talk about Scotland, Tonga, and bloody Wales, Australia at some point. That game's this evening as we're recording. We'll be looking at that, looking in the general direction of that at some point. <sighs> Gotta to head to Leon Stadium now. How are you yeah. feeling? Just, here's what it is, isn't it? Just not. Yeah. Yeah. Oh god, it's gonna be horrible. Right. Rugby. Fourth Samuel Marks, rugby. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.